You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. This podcast has been brought to you by Cuts by Candice. Candice Kiss is a hairstylist that listens to your needs and will work with you to get the right look for you. With 18 years of experience, Candice is the premier stylist that I trust with my look. And right now, if you mention this ad when you make an appointment from now until the end of February 2019 and give our promo code GEEKOUT, you will get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candice on Facebook and Cuts underscore Candice on Instagram and start looking the best you, you can. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, bunk? So Sunday was the 76 Golden Globes. Uh, I know neither one of us was able to watch it, but I would like to talk about some of the stuff that won, if that's cool with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 the only thing I have heard is that there was, uh, I guess, some quote unquote snubbery that uh, that took place. Uh, so, but I don't, I don't know. I think what I kind they of, mean by that. I don't I know what of, happened. I kind of picked up on that too on social media. It was uh, between Christy Metz and Allison Brie. So Christy Metz is the one of the stars from This Is Us on NBC, and uh, Allison Brie. Uh, best known right now for Glow, and uh, I guess they were interviewing Christy Metz on the red carpet, and the interview person was trying to throw it to one of the other interviewers uh, that was about to talk to Allison Brie, and she asked Christy Metz, or he asked Christy Metz, I don't know who the interviewer was, if uh, she knew Allison Brie. And as they were cutting over to Allison Bree's camera, uh, I guess Christy, the story goes, Christy Metz's mic was still live and she says, oh, that, do I know her? I know that bitch or something like that. But like everybody's saying, or everybody, Christy and Allison are both saying that that never happened. And like, uh, if you follow, um, I follow Chris Allison, Allison Bree on uh, Instagram in her Instagram story. She's like, don't, don't believe what you're hearing online like the two of us are really good friends kind of thing Mm -hmm. so i guess that's the snubbery you're probably talking about if if it's anything else then i wouldn't know i just happened to come across that earlier today yeah i i I don't know i uh i i had heard uh like i said very little about this uh uh, which is unusual for us because usually we we try to follow this stuff a little bit more closely but i know we both had some stuff going on i don't know if they meant that or if they were talking about some of the winners oh that kind of snubbery (laughs) yeah that makes more sense because we don't usually talk about celebrity gossip so well you know every once in a while it's good to 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 get a good gossipy fight in a a good juicy gossip fight i guess i don't i don't know sure (laughs) well let's hear let's let's talk about the best motion picture drama uh you had black panther black klansman bohemian rhapsody if bill street could talk and a star is born and out of those five, Bohemian Rhapsody won. Uh, how do you feel about all those? Like, out of those, I saw I saw three out of the five movies. I saw Black Panther, Black Klansman, and Bohemian Rhapsody. And uh, I didn't see If Beale Street Could Talk, which I've heard is great. And I didn't want to see A Star Is Born, but a lot of people were talking about it. Uh, I mean, I I watched A Star Is Born, and I I think a lot of people. 
I think a lot of people were were anticipating that film to be a heavy hitter for both the Golden Globes and the uh, the Oscars. I certainly love the soundtrack. I've listened to the soundtrack uh, quite a bit since I watched the movie, and I thought the movie was good. Uh, but I, I wasn't like completely, utterly blown away by the film as as much as apparently everyone else seemed to be. And I think maybe that's uh, you know why people. I don't know. I think maybe that's why people were talking about there being some snubs or something like that that happened. But uh, I think I don't know. I really haven't seen most of those, to be honest with you. I, I've seen A Star is Born and Black Panther, and I think that's it out of those. I, I haven't seen the rest of those. I feel like um, in the past, uh, Golden Globe winners were good indicators of who's going to win at the at the Oscars. But I feel like in the last couple of years, uh, that hasn't been the case. So. Mm-hmm. I really feel like if if some people think that you know the Star is Born still going to win a, an Oscar, it, it's a it's a good possibility. Now, would I say Bohemian Rhapsody of the three movies I saw would should Bohemian Rhapsody have won between Black Klansman and Black Panther? I don't know. Maybe yeah. I mean, I saw Black Klansman, which I thought was I thought it was a great movie, but I also thought Bohemian Rhapsody and Black Panther were great movies. Mm-hmm. I just don't see Black Panther winning Best Drama, so. I, I I don't I don't see a snub snub there. I think Bohemian Rhapsody should uh, deserve to win it. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm a little surprised to see Black Panther really even in contention as a, and I mean again like this is always the difficult thing because you have you know comedy like best comedy musical comedy or whatever, and then you have best drama, and so. I don't know. To me, I have a very difficult time constituting uh, Black Panther as a drama. Uh, but I mean, well, you know, they, obviously they're not going to put it in comedy either. It's not really either one of those things. But you know, here as, we are. It's as much a comedy as The Martian was a comedy. So, well, yeah, but exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the and and that caused a big thing too when well, it was I, like, you know, it's like that's not a, you know maybe they need a, a third. Uh, movie category i I think we need a best action movie (laughs) yeah uh well that's the thing i don't know so it went to bohemian rhapsody either way so there you go uh best motion picture musical or comedy we had crazy rich asians the favorite green book mary poppins returns and vice and the winner was green book uh i didn't see green book i really wanted to of those five all i saw was vice and crazy rich asians and i wasn't too uh stoked on either one of those like I, I, coming out of it i thought they were both just okay so mm-hmm. i i have no real opinion on green book winning but i, I just know i did want to watch it yeah i mean there's a, I, 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 there, a lot of these movies are on my list of of films to uh, watch i just uh, unfortunately have not gotten to them i mean i've heard good things about all of them um i just you know sadly have not got the opportunity to consume them yet Makes sense. Uh, best performance by an actress in a motion picture was uh, Glenn Close, The Wife, Lady Gaga, Stor- A Star is Born, Nicole Kidman, Destroyer, Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Rosamund Pike, A Private War. Uh, man, Nicole Kidman, Destroyer, or I'm sorry, the winner was Glenn Close, The Wife, which I don't even know. I didn't even hear about that movie, so... I don't. I don't know about. That. I, I don't think. I the only one of the of all these movies, the only one I saw was Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me, and I was not happy with that movie at all. So, really, yeah. Did you see it? 
I haven't, but I've heard really good things. So I'm, I'm, I'm. We'll have to talk later about your, uh, your reasons as to why you didn't. Uh, for it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I really wanted to see uh, Destroyer, and I know that just came out. I also wanted to see a Private War, and it just didn't open up where I'm at, so I couldn't see it. Uh, but like I said, I never even heard of the wife, so that's interesting. Hmm. Uh, did you have any opinions on any of those? Uh, I, I think again, uh, cause, uh, Glenn, uh, won, right. She, right. she, so I think, I think again, maybe that's a situation where people thought, you know, uh, Lady Gaga was a shoe in for a star is born, uh, it, which I, I do have to say, I, I haven't seen the film that, uh, Glenn closes in here. Uh, but I, I was completely, I will say uh, in terms of a star is born, like Lady Gaga is hands down the best part of that, that film and really does deliver quite an amazing performance. I mean, you would have, like, you feel watching her performance in this that she is someone that has been acting for, you know, half or more of her life. And and the reality is, is this is, like, her first really big uh, film. So yeah. that is very interesting to me. And I think maybe that's another situation where a lot of people thought she was a, a shoe-in or a guaranteed win. And uh, it just seems like she didn't quite make it to that, so... Uh, best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama: Bradley Cooper, A Star Is Born; William Dafoe, an, at, at Eternity's Gate; Lucas Hedges, Boy You Raced; Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody; and John David Washington, Black Klansman. Uh, I didn't even know about William Dafoe's movie at Eternity's Gate. Um, oh, and the, I'm sorry, the winner was Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, I saw that one. I and I saw Black Klansman. So once again. I have, I mean, I'd have to go with Rami Malek. But actually, though, John John David Washington did do a really great job as uh, the officer he portrayed in Black Klansman. So that wouldn't that would have been pretty close. Yeah. Hmm. Did you know about At Eternity's Gate? No. Yeah. No. Haven't even uh, <laughs> haven't even heard about it. The only movie I saw with Willem Dafoe last year was Aquaman. Unfortunately, so same. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy: Emily Blunt, uh, Mary Poppins Returns; Olivia Coleman, The Favorite; Elsie Fisher, Eighth Grade; Charlie Theron Tully, and Constance Wu, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, the winner was Olivia Coleman, The Favorite, um, which I only know Olivia Coleman from other stuff that she she was in because I've never I didn't see the The Favorite. And I know she's a she's a really good actress, so I'm I'm pretty cool. Or I'm pretty happy with this. Mm-hmm. I saw Eighth Grade. I didn't I didn't like that movie either. Um, Charlie Theron and Tully. I think she did a really great performance in a movie that I didn't care for. And Constance Wu also had uh, you know a great performance in a uh, script that I thought could have been a hell of a lot better. So. Sure. Sure. Go because uh, you you did not like that movie really at all, right? It's not that I didn't like Crazy Rich Asians. I just felt like too much of pe or people were focusing too much on the whole. It's a full Asian cast, which great, awesome. I I love that. I love the fact that you know Asians are getting uh, better roles and better movies and stuff like that. But like, I feel like you sacrificed just about everything else for the fact that you had a whole Asian cast or something like that. So Mm -hmm. 
yeah, the 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 writing I felt was subpar, and, and the fact that and we talked about it on this podcast is like we did. Yeah, I, I just felt like they they really set back women in in movies like a couple couple years because I felt like they really did a disservice to how strong women are as opposed to just how great Asians are. Right, right. Yeah, I, I remember. That's what I say. I do remember us talking about it on here, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I started watching it, and I just, I don't know. I was, I was not interested in it. Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't really find. I think uh, that's completely that understandable. Pulled me into the film, so I, I, I you know, unfortunately, didn't uh, finish it. But, now, did you watch yeah. Eighth Grade? Because that's Bo Burnham's first movie. I did not, but again, this is another movie that I have heard good things about, and uh, it's another one that I'm interested in watching. I just have not gotten around to it. Because I, I would really like to hear your opinions on that when you get, get around to watching it. Um, yeah, because I, I did not find it as appealing as everybody else did, but I do hmm. find the story behind it pretty interesting, like the whole Bo Burnham, I'm saying that right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He. Uh, from what I heard, he's like, it's something that he's been compiling for you know years upon years, just like little stories here and there to make this movie kind of thing. So. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, that's at least interesting. Okay. No. Uh, yeah. I. I definitely want to check it out because I mean, like I said, he seems like a, a strange. Uh, not 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 that he seems a strange person. It just seems strange that he was the person that made this particular film. Is what I'm trying to to say there it's it's very fascinating to me that he chose to make this movie from what i've heard so i'm i'm intrigued to watch it as well uh best director bradley cooper stars born alfonso caron for roma peter Farrelly, green book spike lee black Klansman, and adam mckay vice winner was alfonso caron for roma uh i have not watched this i was a i i started it the other day like literally seconds and then i had to get pulled away so i didn't i didn't go back to it but did you watch roma i know you're you're an alfonso carrion fan i i am yeah um again unfortunately like i don't know it's really bad because like my unfortunately my film watching this year tanked off in a remarkably dramatic fashion compared to every year before this year um yeah so like, i mean and, and it's it you know that's kind of the downside of like doing the the podcast is like obviously we want to you know we want to talk about these things and we you know we're very involved in what's going on but uh yeah unfortunately i just have not had the opportunity to see a lot of these and yeah but uh, you're... this one is by far one of the ones that was at the top of my list though because of like you said his his previous work i've really enjoyed and uh when I saw the trailer and stuff for it, like cinematically, visually, uh, it looks wonderful. And uh, I, again, I, I want to watch it, but I feel like that's all anyone <laughs> listening right now is hearing is me make excuses for why I haven't watched movies. I was going to say with our, our last episode, our our live 50th episode, uh, you would you explain that you hadn't watched a lot of movies this, this past year, but it's also because you're, you know, you're kind of being involved in making movies at the moment. So, I think it's a fair trade. I think you're doing well. I mean, yeah, like if you're going to trade off watching films, I think trading it for working on helping people make movies is a good excuse personally, exactly. but uh <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's still it's still it's still hard though because that that part of you that 
loves to watch movies and be inspired by other creators and uh you know give them their their penance for creating the magic and actually getting a movie made which is a ridiculously hard thing to do i mean especially you know a movie that's not a comic book movie or a reboot or any of that stuff those movies are remarkably hard to get made right now if, if yep. you are not in one of those categories that i just mentioned it's it's it it's difficult you know and and even if you are in that category that doesn't make it less difficult to get the movie done I, you know i mean it's it's really pretty remarkable that as human beings we we manage to create film but create the sheer number of movies that come out every year is also pretty remarkable uh i think black klansman with spike lee i think i feel like spike lee kind of fell back into some of his uh, routine movie making uh, sure. tropes with that one, um, so that's why I feel like it it wouldn't be at the top of my list for for uh, best directed movie this year. And then I recently watched uh, Vice. I, I believe I watched it the second of the year, so like like on the second day of the year after New Year's Day. Um, Adam McKay I think did so well with The Big Short and then fell so short with uh with Vice. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not surprised Alfonso Corian won, won this, uh, this out because all I've been I hearing about how, how great it is and that it's a, it's, it's pretty much a love letter to the child, uh, the, the, the lady that helped raise him essentially that wasn't his mother, like the, the live in nanny, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the other thing, um, about that too is i mean i feel i feel like following up the big short is is like you said the big short is a really good movie it got nominated for uh, quite a few awards and things like that too so i mean i think following that up is always a little bit difficult when you have such a good response and you've created such a good movie like you know where do you go next and and inevitably sometimes they you know people kind of have expectations of things and it doesn't live up to it and i mean from what I understand of of Vice as well, like the content matter isn't quite. Um, I guess it's not quite as universally appealing as maybe The Big Short was, or um, not The Big Short. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, The Big Short. Yeah, The Big Short. Yeah. Uh, sorry, my brain is totally not working. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I you know I think that has a lot to do with it as well too because. From what I understand of Vice, it's it's more focused on like Dick Cheney. Yes, yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's definitely a focused piece on the one character of Dick Cheney or figure, pop being power figure of Dick Cheney and how he came to power in uh, D.C. in the years that he was vice president to President Bush. Mm-hmm. As opposed to yes, the Big Short, where the you know a lot of the blame is being spread around to a whole bunch of people of how we we got into the economy that we were in. Well, yeah, and then I think you also just have a lot more like uh, you have a lot more characters too, uh, from what I understand of it, and so you know I think that helps too because there's more representation. There's you know potentially someone in there that most most likely people are going to you know be able to connect with or root for. Whereas when you have less opportunity for that, you know, that can make it more challenging as well. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, okay, best performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Christian Bale for Vice. Lynn Monroe Miranda, uh, Mary Poppins Returns, Viggo Mortensen Green Book, Re- Robert Redford, The Old Man and the Gun, and John C. Riley, Stan and Ollie. I didn't see any of these except for Vice and Christian Bale for Vice One. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, he did. He did a great job. So you can't you can't fault him for that. Uh, but I also would have loved, I would love to see John, John C. Riley in Stan and Ollie. I, I, I want, I remember seeing the trailer for that movie of, uh, um, oh, what are their names? Laurel and Hardy. And I, I definitely wanted to see that. So once again, I fell, I fell into the same trap as you and just didn't have the time to watch all these movies. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I said, there's more and more movies coming out every year. So uh, and and you know not only that but again some of these you know non mega blockbuster films are you know they just don't get the same uh, marketing or attention or, or you screen. don't get the same opportunity yeah to get you know to actually go watch it so I mean uh, yeah it can be very difficult best supporting actress in a motion picture Amy Adams Vice Claire Foy First Man Regina King If Beale Street Could Talk. Emma Stone, the favorite, and Rachel Weisz, the favorite. Um, the winner was Re- uh, Regina King, If Beale Street Could Talk, which I've only I've only heard good things about it, but I just haven't heard a lot about it. Like, there hasn't been a lot of people I've seen talking about the movie, but mm-hmm. the people that I have seen talk about it, they, they did like it. Now, did you, did, you, did you get a chance to see First Man? Nope. Oh. And I'm really mad because they were showing it in IMAX. Yeah. And I really wanted to go see it because like i don't know just the the thought of seeing like the the way they were representing space and the moon and all that like on the imax like just uh i because i love space as well so like you know being able to get to have that experience at the imax i think would have been infinitely uh better than the standard theater or even at home on uh you know netflix or something like that once it eventually goes to streaming services but uh but yeah, unfortunately, no. Yeah, I saw. Um, uh, or what I heard was that the the moment that the IMAX pays off for First Man is when uh, he's opening up the the pod on the moon, and you know the doors open up, and then it opens up into that wider screen aspect ratio to to so that you can see the scope of outer space, and like it it just looks beautiful from what I hear. I didn't see it myself. Right. Um, yeah. Best supporting actor in a motion picture: Mahershala Ali, Green Book; Timothy Chalamet, Beautiful Boy; uh, Adam Driver, Black Klansman; Richard E. Grant, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And Sam Rockwell, Vice. The winner was Mahershala Ali for Green Book, uh, which you know makes sense. Um, I think it's odd that Sam Rockwell would be nominated for Vice because even though he's heavily uh focused on promoted in the in the trailer he's mm-hmm. he's really not in the movie all that much like what you see in the trailer is about it and um maybe maybe a few more minutes after that but it's not a lot so i would i would have probably given the nomination to uh steve carell as donald rumsfeld in the movie now he did a fucking amazing 
I didn't even know Steve Carell was in that movie, and so I feel I feel like I need to watch his. The actually. trailer does not even tell you that Steve Carell is in the movie, which is what <laughs> okay, blew my mind when I was well, watching I the movie, it. and he he's there. I was like, "What? Yeah, it, that was crazy." <laughs> but he was also in that uh, Beautiful Boy movie. Did you see Beautiful Boy? Nope. That's an, oh, dude, I was dying to watch that. That <laughs> oh god, it looks so effing good. It's got him and the and then the kid from uh, Call Me by Your Name. I can't think right. of his name Timothy right Chalamet, now. Timothy who's who's nominated. Yeah. Well, I mean, he should. I'm, I'm just going to go on a limb and say that he should be because I mean, if he even delivered, like, if he even phoned in half a performance and delivered what he like half of what he did in Call Me by Your Name, then yeah, I mean, amazing performance. Like that guy is super skilled and talented for being as young as he is <laughs> that's what i mean that's why i kind of brought it up because i figured that uh I, I remember you saying how much you liked call me by your name so uh, well i mean the, the movie i don't know I, there i have issues with the movie as as a whole but like his performance though is remarkable i mean absolutely remarkable okay fair enough uh best original score in a motion picture a quiet place isle of dogs black panther first man and mary poppins and i'm sorry i'm not saying all their names but it went to justin Hurwitz for first man um you have any opinions on on music um i i mean i haven't seen that movie so i really uh, am not familiar with the score on that unfortunately but i I mean, I'm I'm definitely gonna go listen to it now. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm very intrigued to hear hear the soundtrack to that and see what he what he composed. And then best original song in a motion picture: Black Panther, Dumpling, A Private War, uh, Boy Erased, A Star Is Born. And the the best original song went to Shallow, A Star Is Born. Hmm. Now that 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 makes sense. Although I will say personally, I think there are better songs in that movie on that. Yeah, on that uh, soundtrack than that. But I am not at all surprised that that uh, that's the one that I was like, yeah, this is going to be the one that gets the nomination. I also find it funny that Dumpling. I mean, I didn't watch that movie. It's that Netflix original movie with Jennifer Aniston. Like, I I didn't hear anything about that movie after it was released i didn't hear i haven't heard anybody talking about it but that's odd that i mean i guess it has a a really good original song hmm uh okay just a couple more best screenplay in a motion picture uh barry jenkins if beale street could talk adam mckay vice alfonso corian uh roma deborah davis and tony mcnamara for the favorite and peter fairley nick valonga Valilonga and Brian Curry for Green Book and Peter Fairley, Nick Valilonga and Brian Curry for Green Book One. Hmm. Best Motion Picture Foreign Language, Capernaum, uh, Girl, Never Look Away, Roma and Shoplifters and Roma One, which makes sense. Uh, best Animated Film was Incredibles Two, Isle of Dogs. Um, Mira, Mirai, Ralph breaks the internet and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse verse won that one. Oh, and that was it. That's the that's the end of the movie uh, section. So, 
Well, based on uh, the conversation that we had uh, last podcast yeah. <laughs> uh, with you, me, uh, Steve, and, and uh, Rafa, I am not at all surprised that Into the Spider-Verse won because we all picked it as well. Yes, that's true. We all had it, it on, on our list our of top five. Yeah, it's different places, but it was all in the top five. That's true, but we it was the only one that we <laughs> all had on our on our lists in some number slot on there. Exactly. So... Yeah, that's uh, that's your movie winners for the Golden Globes this year. Um, I think we got a few months until the Oscars come out or the Oscars happen. Did they already announce who the nominees were? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. That's interesting. Uh, But to talk about a couple movies, let's uh, go to Netflix, which obviously is a big contender as we just saw yeah. in movies now. The Ballad of, Buck- of Buster Scruggs was Joel and Ethan Cohen's new movie that was direct to Netflix. Let me ask you this before before you before we get into the movie itself. Sure. How do you feel about um the fact that Netflix doesn't release their numbers in any way? Like do you think that's uh, for the creative side of movie making, do you think that's a plus or a negative? Well, um, I you know they they don't release it to. They, I guess this is my situation, right? Uh, they don't release it to the public. Uh, I don't know if, for example, I, I would still imagine that if you were the Cohen brothers or you know someone involved in this, that there would have to be something in the negotiation of the contract to have some sort of analytic data for your project you uh, there might so? be an nda that's associated with that but i would imagine there would have to be some sort of of thing for that uh there might not be because i think from a business standpoint in terms of netflix uh it's a very strategic move because the reality is is if you're doing a show like let's just hypothetically say uh you're doing a series uh and you want to do a second series if you don't know that data Mm -hmm. um it makes leveraging negotiations for more pay extremely difficult because you can't walk in there and say well hey i know for a fact that this you know show generated this much traffic this much money blah 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 there's not really any way to quantify that um by that same uh, uh, statement, though, it's also difficult to really quantify what relevance views actually have for Netflix, right? Because right. obviously they want people watching their content. Uh, but I would also take a guess to say that The Office is probably the most watched thing on Netflix because everybody that you know is on social media is like, oh, I open Netflix, I scroll through a billion things, and then I watch The Office anyway. Right. Um, you know, so I I don't know. It's it is I think in some instances uh, a business tactic for Netflix because obviously it gives them more negotiating power, or or you know from a perception standpoint, it would give them more negotiating power. Uh, but also, I mean, I outside of that. Uh, I don't know that it matters a whole lot. You know, I mean, if if I made a movie, like uh, obviously 
I want that movie to reach the biggest audience possible, you know, because that's why I'm making the movie is for people to to consume it and to watch it. Um, but, you know, I mean, if I was at the status of someone like the Coen brothers, like, obviously, I know that that I have a, a fan base and uh, I, I just I don't know that it that it matters at a certain point. I The, the only thing that I could really think of is just the negotiating standpoint, because um you know, obviously, if the Coen brothers knew that this was like the largest movie that had ever been screened on Netflix, that's going to give them a little bit more uh, leverage. Uh, you know, if they wanted to make another movie, they could potentially get a little bit more money out of out of Netflix. But at the same time, uh, from everything that I've kind of heard and, and, and read and seen, um, it, it sounds like Netflix does a pretty good job of giving the money and the creative uh, freedom and, and trust into the people that, that they're uh, hiring for these projects or into the films that they're buying, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt and, and kind of setting them up, in, in my opinion, really to be successful because you're letting them do what you're hiring them to do. Um, and I mean, obviously, I don't have any insight or, or, or rather any inside information on, on the ballad of uh, Buster Scruggs. But I almost feel like this kind of relates to what I was talking about earlier, where, you know, the studios have really cornered and dialed in on reboots, comic book movies. And uh, I, I think this might have been a situation to where, as the Coen brothers, uh, who traditionally up to this point have not made really either one of those types of movies uh, looks at a situation and says, well, uh, Netflix is really going for a, a ton of exclusive content. Uh, they're letting creatives be creatives. We obviously have a, a pretty good uh, record uh, established of, about our filmmaking and we, we have a, a certain bankability and clout to our name. Let's see if they will fund this movie. And so it, it almost feels like a good business tactical decision for, for them to have really went after getting this movie done this way. Um, so I guess that's kind of a really long-winded... I, I don't want to get too far into my rant on this, but I feel like that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. No. I, 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 I could see where it matters, but at the same time, I could also make an argument that it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Uh, in the movie theaters right now, um, if you have some type of adapted IP or a sequel, uh, something like that, you know, that's where they want to put those movies right now. But movies like this or lower budgets or mid budgets are definitely going to our streaming platforms. So mm -hmm. it's it makes complete sense. And then also no, no sense because, yeah, I mean, traditionally us both a star, a writer, and a director are all going to base off their next project off of how well the last project is being received, especially by a studio. So if The Ballad of Buster Struggs did amazing numbers, I mean, we see that it's it's doing amazing critically. Like, people are, are talking about it, and they're winning awards, and they're being nominated for awards. But if it did well financially, which I, do you, how do you even measure that? for Netflix because I guess did more people sign up to watch Buster Scruggs or did uh, you know more people tune in or just to go to that or kind of thing but 
Well, and 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 that and that's I, that's kind of my my point too. Is I mean, Netflix is is really in a very different scenario than um, you would have from you know up up to this point traditional distribution, right? Because right. traditional distribution, like you you have kind of really an upfront cost of where you're saying, well, uh, and I, I mean it's a little bit less than it used to be because I mean you used to have to pay to have you know, all of these prints actually made on film and like, yeah, you're still, uh, there's some places now that are just doing, uh, basically digital drops to digital projectors and stuff. So, I mean, there's a, a little bit less, but there's still a pretty big, uh, upfront cost to do a full theatrical run of, of any movie. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I don't know exactly how Netflix is, quantifying views into new memberships or how you you know i mean like how you're really suggesting that this particular movie made someone sign up or this particular film had uh retention for subscribers i i just i don't know exactly how how they're quantifying that um but i think that's also just kind of really the 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 beauty of them not being in that traditional situation where they're like, well, this movie has to make this much money in the box office or we've lost money by putting in the theaters. They don't have that same problem because really once they buy the movie, uh, it's kind of almost already been paid for by subscribers before mm -hmm. it's even been viewed by anybody, which is uh, kind of intriguing. And I guess... I guess maybe the only way they could quantify it was by saying, well, if the film gets this many views, then we've, you know, maybe there's just some arbitrary number that they assign to where it's like, if enough people watch this, we'll, we'll say that we've made our money back. But I don't know how you ever actually quantify that you did based strictly off the views, you know? Exactly. So, uh, well, I mean, I just thought it was an interesting subject if, uh, if anything, or at least an interesting question. So uh, when one of us makes it there, we'll have to find out. <laughs> For sure. Uh, now, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is six different stories, kind of an anthology um, setting in a two and two and 13 minute movie set in the Old West. The first story is about the character of Buster Scruggs, played by, oh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Tim Blake Nelson. And even though he wears all white, he's not necessarily a a good guy. He even says it in his singing and stuff like that. It, you know, he's really he's great shot, crack shot, and then eventually uh, someone else comes along and and uh, shoots him dead because there's always going to be someone younger and better. Is what the I guess message is at the end of that that particular story. I would say this is about the whole movie in general is that it looks great. And this also is, I guess, the first time the Coens have ever shot on digital. It is, yeah. Um, which that in and of itself uh, is is reason alone to, to be intrigued by this movie if you're a Coens fan because uh, they have traditionally in the past been been fairly uh hesitant to to really experiment and make that leap over to you know to digital like they they have been a very big supporter of of film uh, i guess it would be kind of a, the same a similar situation if like christopher nolan came out and was like hey 
I made a digital movie and it's going straight to Netflix. Like it, it is a pretty <laughs> monumental thing for two iconic filmmakers to uh, to finally make that leap into uh, digital. It was actually shot, I believe, on the Ari Alexa Mini, uh, which is uh, it's a really good camera. And I mean, cinematically, the film is just gorgeous. I mean, the, do you think that that's a decision they had to make because it's a period type movie where it's set in the old west and it's easier to digitally edit out edit, edit out things that shouldn't be there? Uh, I mean, it, it's uh, it's certainly a possibility. I mean, you know, there. I, I mean, who knows how many visual effect shots they had for this? I mean, it could have been anywhere from. Uh, several hundred to maybe a thousand you know and uh i think honestly when you're when you're looking at a situation and you're kind of going well uh we're doing something we've never really done before and and partnering with uh netflix and we really want to get this movie made and you know the reality is is you're also making a a, a genre of movie that quite frankly a lot of people just don't watch anymore mm-hmm. uh unfortunately I, I i say unfortunately i've always been a, a big fan of westerns i've always loved uh watching westerns and uh i, I think it's really kind of a, a genre that has died off uh, traditionally uh so i mean i think when you look at that and you say well hey you know we've got kind of the situation where maybe we want to shoot cheaper maybe we want to uh really experiment uh what we're doing because essentially we're making six short films instead of uh instead of a huge feature uh to me it it feels like this was the right time and the right call to say well we're not sure if we really want to go you know digital from here on out uh but maybe we should give it a chance and i i think really if you're going to do it this is the way to do it because there's uh even though they're all westerns uh, each one of these little anthologies or shorts, whatever you want to call them, really has its own feel and vibe and its own uniqueness and its own life to it. And, uh, I, you know, I think that's a great way to do it because you're saying, OK, well, we don't have to necessarily create a consistent look throughout a two hour film like we can go in and we can experiment. We can really see the pros and cons of of shooting digital and compare it to how we did film. So. So, I mean, I think all of those, and, and this is just my hypothesis. I mean, I could be totally, completely wrong. They could have just said, let's shoot digital because uh, it's a lighter camera and we're shooting on location. <laughs> uh, we're shooting out in the wilderness and we don't want somebody to have to care. I, obviously, they didn't say that because they probably don't care. They pay people to carry that stuff. So it's not like they <laughs> don't care, I don't think. But but I'm just saying, like, I to me, uh, like, if I were looking at it, those are the reasons that I would think that this particular film was really their first uh, experiment. I don't even want to say it's their transition to film because I don't know if they'll stay on it or, or uh, their transition to digital because I don't know if they'll keep shooting on it or not. Uh, at some point, I would imagine they, they're they probably going to have to whether they want to or not. But I definitely believe like for an experimentation standpoint, uh, this is definitely a great you know set of little shorts to do it on. Uh, yeah, no, and I would I think you definitely take into account all the things that you brought up for why they would shoot this one particularly in in digital and yeah this is probably their their it's definitely their first um uh venture into digital but it might not be something that they transition to like you said um when it comes to cohen brother movies i am about 50 50 uh i usually prefer their dramas to their comedies and i i always wondered if that's a thing because they're brothers like does one of the brothers 
uh, like take charge more on the comedies, whereas the other brother takes more charge on the the dramas. And I don't know. I have no clue one one way or the other. But um, this movie in particular kind of, I, I, I want to say it kind of straddles the, the two because it definitely has a very dark humor to it. Um, and the drama is is obviously there in, in a lot of the, the different shorts. However, I did not enjoy this movie at all. But I also think that's because there's not a lot of joy in this movie. This movie is very <laughs> depressing. And, and, I, and I think as it's supposed to be, like as they intended it to be. And I just, I just felt like there was a lot of part parts where the short stories suffered from what I feel short stories usually suffer for is it suffer from is no real ending. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I I can see that. Um, I I yeah. I I I love the Coen Brothers. I'm a big big fan of their work. Uh, I think I, I don't necessarily think. It's a situation of of one uh, brother necessarily being more uh, dominant than the other in terms of of genre or, or you know anything like that. I think personally, perhaps why you like uh, the dramas better is because th- to me the Coen Brothers are they're very offbeat with their characters. They create a lot of these really kooky and zany situations, and and like you said they're very notorious for like kind of the trademark of having this dark humor. Um, and I think the reality is, is that when you have uh, a comedy that at times is trying to be lighthearted and funny, but then at other moments is being kind of like a dark comedy. I think maybe there's a, a mixture of that blend that just doesn't sit right with you. Whereas when you look at drama, there's already dark situations that are organically presenting themselves with inside of the stories that they're telling so that when you do have those dark humor moments, um, it's lightening the situation, it's breaking the tension. Whereas I don't think that translates quite the same in their comedy films. Uh, again, I could be totally wrong, but I feel like maybe that's the difference as to why uh, you like their drama more than their their comedies. But I have to say my favorite is of their movies is Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which I definitely would put in the comedy side. So there's that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it definitely does. Uh, but I mean, they, they've been, you know, they've been making movies for a long time. And oh, I, mean, yeah. I, I think the biggest thing is that they're, to me at least, they're, they're master filmmakers in the sense of they'll take any genre uh, and they will just, play the cards of that genre, but in doing so somehow magically turn that genre 100% upside down, throw it on its face and just give you something that we're not used to seeing. And, and it, it literally doesn't matter what type of movie they're doing. They, they do the same thing every time. And it's, it's, it's just kind of really remarkable to, to see that, you know, uh, of the six stories, did you have one that you liked the most, and did you have one that you didn't like the most, or you you liked the least? Um, I didn't really have one that um, I didn't really have one that I liked the least. Um, I think the one that I liked the most uh, was All Gold Canyon, and. Uh, 
I think I liked that one the most just because of Tom Waits. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of his and, and his music and, you know, his career and the stuff that he does and his acting. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I, that one. And then, of course, like the, 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 the concept of that is very simple, uh, but it's also executed remarkably well. And, you know, the locations that they found for this movie are just absolutely beautiful. I mean, they just and, and that one in particular just jumped out at me as, as such a a beautiful location for for, you know, such a relatively simple concepted story, but told very effectively. And uh, I think the biggest takeaway for me with with all six of these short films is that the Wild West just sucked to live in because you were going to get murdered in the most grotesque way imaginable, like no matter what you did. And, uh, you know, th there was this one. And then I think it was Meal Ticket was the one with uh, Liam Neeson. Yeah. And uh, the I, I forget the actor's name, but he's uh, a young man who essentially has no arms or legs. And yeah, he's actually... Uh, the, I just found it very bizarre to me because they go through this whole thing where Liam Neeson is essentially kind of taking care of this guy. And this guy's basically, I mean, like, I get the metaphor behind it, but like, this guy's basically providing uh, money and a lifestyle for Liam Neeson that he really wouldn't have otherwise. And Liam Neeson just kind of grows tired of having to take care of him and throws him off a bridge. Well, seemingly throws him off a bridge. We don't know if he actually does it. Yeah, we don't know uh, exactly they, what he does. Yeah, but they allude pretty heavily that he took this this man with no legs and no arms and just chucked him off the side of a bridge and uh you know it's like you said it's very grim it's very dark uh very absurd uh in a lot of these shorts but uh yeah i think the overall message is just don't time travel back to the west or don't live in the 1800s <laughs> if you don't want to die a horrible gruesome death at some weird hands yeah, I would say that was the one that I liked the least was Meal Ticket. I just did not get into it, and, you know, the the lack of dialogue just wasn't appealing to me. The actor who plays the, the, the legless, armless actor was the same actor that was in Harry Potter, played Harry's cousin. Um, I can't remember the character's name, and nor the actors, so that's pretty horrible. Actually, I can look it up right here. But uh, I could... That that those one that one just it really did not talk to me, so I was kind of uh, upset when that one ended the way it did. Now the one I did like was the one with James Franco, the bank robber ah, one. I, yep. I I did enjoy that. Uh, I think mostly because of oh man, why am I forgetting the other actor's name? The actor that plays the banker in that. Um, Oh, Steven, yeah, oh my gosh. something. You know, you I know, know exactly him from. Who you're talking about? You know him from a bunch of things. Stephen Root. There Ste you go. Yeah, Stephen Root, and that was hilarious when he comes running at um, James Franco in his pans that he's wearing <laughs> to yep. be bulletproof. Uh, I mean, that was great. I also like the the mortal remains, the very last story. Um, essentially the two grim reapers that are bringing the three souls to the afterworld. Yes. Oh, that, that, yeah, that, that's a, that, yeah, that's a really good one too. Uh, the, I think the biggest thing about that one that makes it too is, is the, uh, the actors, the two actors that essentially play the, the reapers, which they're calling themselves bounty hunters right. uh, in, in the, in the short, but that, that one is, is also very well crafted as well. I, I have to agree with you on that. That was a really good one. Yeah. That was uh 
John Joe O'Neill and Brendan Gleeson as the Englishman and the Irishman, respectively. Is that Donnell Gleeson's father? That is Donald Gleeson's father. Oh, my God. I don't know why I just put that together. But as soon as you said his last name, I was like, oh, my God, he looks just like Donnell Gleeson. I was like, that makes so much sense now. And they were both in Harry Potter, too. Oh, there you go. There you go. That is absolutely insane. I am really upset at myself that I just now put that together. (laughs) No problem. Uh, Okay, so then overall, how did you feel about the movie? Yeah, I know you said you like the the Cohen brothers, so I do, and you know this is where it gets so uh, difficult for me, right? Because I know even if it had had a major theatrical uh, release, I probably wouldn't have had the time to go watch it in theater. But for me, it's difficult to watch this on on a first viewing on on Netflix because specifically the Cohen brothers, uh, to me at least. It it always just feels like they pour every ounce of their soul into crafting every detail. I mean, like it, it really just. And I mean, like maybe I'm I'm talking nonsense here, but like I feel like if you see a mosquito flying around in the background of a Coen Brother film, that like, that detail was put there for a reason. And <laughs> I I think the biggest thing for me with that is that not even having the option to to go to the theater and see one of their movies i think is is uh, and i think this did actually have a, a limited re- like a very limited release uh to theaters but you know not even having the option to go see it in a theater even even though i'm fully admitting that i, I realistically probably would not have have had the time to have gone and watch it i just think you lose some of those nuances and some of the details that really the cohen brothers you know slave effort or not effortlessly but slave themselves uh over you know over and over and over and over again to get all of those things in there and i think that you do lose a little bit of of their pure intent uh in in watching it on a on a smaller screen you know and and uh i think that's difficult but at the same time i i think from uh, a standpoint of like okay well this is the only way we're getting this made in today's film market, which is also quite frankly, unfortunate. Um, but I, I do think it, it, it's true. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I think again, if you're somebody who likes the Coen brothers, uh, if you're someone who likes Western type of films, uh, and that, that time period, I, I would, I would definitely recommend watching it. Uh, it's, I think it's the, that's the other beauty of, of Netflix originals or, or any type of, of exclusive content to whether it's, uh, you know, Amazon prime or, uh, Hulu or any of those things is that if you already have the account, uh, you might as well go ahead and just watch it. You know, I think it makes it easy to recommend films now because people are going to feel, uh, less jaded because it's, it's not like you went to the theater and you necessarily dropped 10 to $15 uh, on, on a ticket and then, you know, another 15 to $30 on uh, concessions or what have you. Uh, so, you know, I, I think from that standpoint, like give it a shot and, and see if you like it. And, and you know, if you don't, well, uh, you don't have to finish watching it. You know, you can uh, move on to uh, Bird Box. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's go ahead and move on to Bird Box. <laughs> Uh, this is directed by Suzanne Beyer. Have you, uh, ever heard of this director or followed any of her work before? Uh, 
cast Susan Byer. Susan Byer. Uh, yeah, neither have I. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I do. Uh, the name, uh, it doesn't. It, it's yeah, I don't know. It sounds like it. Like I maybe have seen something she did. Like the um, only thing that looks familiar to me is the things we lost in the fire. Like I've heard of that movie. I didn't watch it myself, but uh oh my god yeah well that was back in like 2008 2007 jesus yeah so okay i mean yeah i've i've heard of that i've i've i mean it's i've seen that it's been a long time i mean that's like halle berry and benicio del toro i think david Duchovny's in that isn't he yep yeah okay so yeah i mean i've uh, yeah oh my god oh. that's an what a throwback she also directed all the, the 10 episodes. years ago that's over 10 years <laughs> it's ago over 10 years she directed all the episodes of uh the night manager with uh tom hiddleston and oh. hugh laurie which i wanted to watch i still hadn't got around to watching though very nice yeah i've seen like an episode or two of that yeah okay okay that makes sense now one of the things i thought was incredible about bird box was the amount of stars that were in this movie the amount mm-hmm. the 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 star power in this movie is incredible with Sandra Bullock as a, as your main star, Trevante Rhodes who's up and coming, John Malkovich who's always, you know, uh a pillar of acting, Sarah Paulson who's getting racking up awards on TV left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh let's see Jackie Weaver, Rosa Sal- Salazar, uh Danielle McDonald, Little Rel Howery. Tom Holland, Hollander, Machine Gun Kelly, B.D. Wong, Pruitt Taylor Vince. Like, these are all names that you might not know, but you know them when you saw them. So, uh, yeah, the other thing that I think might be of, of interest here, uh, this is, I, I'm going to, I don't, I, I'm going to butcher his name. It's Eric, uh, I think it's like Eric, um, Heiser? Heiser or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the, he's the writer of this, but he also wrote uh, Arrival. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, that movie is is also a film that is written very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there, like, I could definitely see some parallels, but I, I do feel like, uh, I think he also did Lights Out, which was kind of interesting because that was basically a movie that got made because of like a youtube video that's i don't know if that's exactly how it happened but that's what it sure feels like happened you're absolutely um, right yeah so uh so uh, i think he might have also done uh the the remake of the thing um that's what it looks like I, yeah i might be confusing him well not the remake else. the prequel or yeah i'm sorry yes that's yeah the prequel but he did direct and write Hours, which was one of um, oh, Paul Walker's movie? Paul Walker movie, yeah, and that's all about huh. uh, Hurricane Katrina, and he's lo- and he's looking for his kids, I believe. So yeah, it's uh, oh, I didn't realize he wrote that too. He wrote and directed it. Oh, 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 Andy. Oh, wow. Okay. So hmm. and, and this is also based off a book, uh, a book written by Josh Mallerman, and uh, yeah. So one of the things that happened as soon as this movie came out on Netflix is that it just blew up with the memes. Like that was essentially yeah. a staple of this movie. People were going crazy over the fact that uh, throughout the movie, Sandra Bullock's character has to wear a blindfold because as this world is being changed to whatever it is, this uh, the setting is that when you see a certain thing, it drives you to 
commit suicide, to hurt yourself, self-harm. Well, sometimes. Unless you have some type of mental disease that then it drives you to make other people see it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'll come back. I, I, I mean, I guess I'll come back to that. Because I, I did, I, I mean, well, so in speaking of, yeah, I'll come back to that. <laughs> in speaking of the memes, the other thing that is is remarkably interesting about the internet culture mm-hmm. is that Netflix had to come out and make a statement saying stop doing the bird box challenge because people were stupidly putting blindfolds on and running around doing day-to-day tasks and stupid stuff and getting themselves hurt uh trying to recreate like it's like no don't put a blindfold on and try to walk down your stairs (laughs) or drive a car or you know uh, there was one where i I, like i was randomly scrolling through uh like twitter or something like that and somebody's like bird box challenge fail and it was like a a dad and I, i i mean his kid looked like he was maybe three or four and they're running blindfolded through the house that the dad makes it through the door and the kid just smacks face first into the the walls uh it doesn't go into the door and i'm like what are you why would you why would you do that to your kid like what are you doing you know so yes internet culture please don't just blindfold (laughs) yourself don't do the bird box challenge don't do it it's a movie it's it's all controlled the stunt people in there somewhere They don't try the bird box challenge at home. They weren't actually driving the cars blindfolded. That just wasn't a thing. Well, well that was the best part too, right? Is they're, <laughs> they're driving it and then it's like, okay, again, this is going to be what I, I think this is the, almost going to be the exact same conversation I had the first time this movie was made when it was called The Quiet Place. And they just took away <laughs> a different sense. Uh, there are so many things that I like about this movie and so many moments of it that are done remarkably well that unfortunately... The other stuff that's not done well just shines that much brighter, you Ooh. know. And that scene in particular, we're like, "We'll just take the car," and I'm like, "Okay." And then he's like, "Well, we have the GPS." I'm like, first off, <laughs> it's not how I, GPS works. I don't know if you've ever used a, a GPS system. Not always good things to just follow, especially like not only following them when your eyes are open, horrible things to follow when you're blindfolded or when you have the windows painted over. Not a good idea, especially if you were using Apple Maps very early on. Not a good, not a good thing to do. (laughs) Then it's got this like, I'm like, what car do they have where there's a visual representation of where exactly the other <laughs> collision might be happening. Yeah. I'm like, if they now, now I will say, product placement wise, if they would have walked out and gotten into the dude's Tesla, which has autonomous driving and could have detected all those things and driven around it, <laughs> I would have been like, hey, that's a good fix. That's that's totally acceptable. But like I, it just comes off so cheesy in that scene where they're looking at the screen and he's like, oh, there's something in front of us. And then all of a sudden it's all around the car. And I'm like, come on. I'm like, that that's that's silly. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> well, don't take a good thing and, and shit it down with bad contrivances. Well, I was going to say the, one of the, the, the worst parts of the, the contrivances is that. The things, whatever the things are, the Cthulhu monsters that they're, they're <laughs> they might be, 
can't enter into homes. Like they, they literally just sit outside of homes and cars and and, and grocery <laughs> stores, just waiting for people to come outside. Like they can't open a door, like kind of thing. So well, they got that. no, they got no opposable thumbs to. Sure, they got no hands, from, bitch. They got from, no hands. From the look, from the sounds of the, what they, because we don't see them, but from the sounds of it, they're huge. I'm pretty sure they could rip a a, <laughs> a, a roof off if they need to. Well, but, that's the best part, right? You get to that last uh, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched Bird Box, please turn away now. And also, don't blindfold your children ever. ever. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, if you're watching the last scene in it where she's running towards you know the, the safe haven, there's these three giant trails of trees and leaves and everything just exploding behind her. And yeah. it's like, well, why didn't they just do that to the car? I, exactly. Or, or the house. Like, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what? But and I guess that brings me to my other thing. For all of the great moments of tension, which there's a lot. Like, there's a lot of moments that are very, very tense. There's a lot of great acting in this, uh, especially from the kids. Like, the younger kids that she has. Like, the, the little girl in this movie. My God. There's, like, a part where she's just standing there, and she's, like, totally not afraid. And then all of a sudden, the cord gets ripped, and she's just chill, like, laying on the ground getting dragged. And I'm like, what a badass. Well, like, at what point do you just, like, wake up and be like, I was born in the apocalypse and i'm here to end it like that's i'm exact- gonna be the apocalypse of the apocalypse that's, that's exactly what i was waiting it. to happen that she's and had I'm a very really tough mad life. that it didn't <laughs> she's had a very tough life she was born into some shit so right uh, i mean talk about being battleborn. my god <laughs> i just think that the harshest part about her life is that she had to come at a real a real young age realize that sandra bullock's character is not her mother and <laughs> and her mother died, and it's for very sure that if it comes down to it, Sandra Bullock's going to save her son and not her, not her. If it comes to it, well, and you know, and, and that's that's another uh, story element that I think this movie does so well is because whenever you have uh, like a situation and and you're trying to have a conversation of of proving a point about something, you're you know, you you always kind of see people come to that where they're like, well. If this was the situation and you had your child and you had somebody else's child, whose would you choose? Obviously, you would choose your own. And I thought it was really cool to have that visual moment to where, you know, she it's very clearly going that way because the, the you know, her son's like, well, I'll do it. I'll look and guide us down the, the river, which I'm still going why um and but but you know she has that moment and she's like no no you're not gonna do it like i'm gonna decide who does it and I you're decide. like oh obviously we know who you're choosing lady um you know so i thought that was like a really good characterization i yeah. thought it was really good development for the character um however and going back to the monsters or, or whatever it is, to me, that's the biggest problem that I had with the film. And now that you say that it's a novel, uh, I actually really would probably much prefer that because I I feel like it, it feels like a novel now that you say that because yeah. they always tell you like in, in storytelling and all this stuff, reality doesn't really have to matter. Like it's really not that important that you're 100% realistic in what you're doing. What matters is that you create a set of rules for your world and those rules are unbreakable. You cannot change those rules. And for me, I feel like that's one of the biggest problems I had with this movie was the rules are never clearly defined uh, for the creatures. And uh, I think that's really unfortunate because I think, again, like, you know, what I'm trying to say, I I think the concept is a great concept. I think it's an excellent concept. I just 
wish that would have been more thought out as to what exactly the rules for these creatures are. Um, because there's a part, like, there's so much where they're saying, you know, oh, they're here to wipe out humanity. They're here to put the planet back to nature, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm like, okay, so these are demons or the apocalypse, and their weakness is blind people? Like, there wasn't blind people around when these demons were like, let's get together and go destroy all human life. They did not. One of them thought, well, uh, guys, uh, real quick, before we go to start the apocalypse in you know, the next 100,000 years here, maybe we should figure out how to get to these blind people. You know? Well, you know, it's just it it's the minuscule amount of the population that's blind, so I guess they just didn't figure but into I mean, it. <laughs> you know, maybe we should figure out how to open doors or, you know, <laughs> that's literally the anything else other than just having people close their eyes. Well, because they do whisper to them too, because there's like the part where it's telling boy and girl, like, hey, take your blindfolds off, it's okay. That's what I was like because I was thinking is like like the part you brought up where the three creatures that we don't see are running towards where Sandra Bullock and the kids are like what are they going to do as soon as they get to Sandra Bullock and the kids they're just going to stand next to them and be like come on take your take your blindfold off like just just take it off like because we've come to the realization that they don't touch them they don't interact with them so that's also very true what if that's not one creature or what if that's not three creatures what if that's one creature what if that's like the three-headed uh hellhound that's (laughs) like running and that's its three neck lines pushing the trees uh We'll never know because they we, we don't ever we obviously I can't see it or you wouldn't be listening to me right now because well, I, I would be dead. The, the best depiction I guess is is uh, the pictures that was his name Gary wrote. The, yeah, the Gary right. Drew. It's that, like did they really? I mean, can we trust him though? Like, yeah, that's I mean, true. He, he's a little off kilter there, so little, I don't know if we can bit. trust his vision. Maybe you just see what you want to see because there was like the, the 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 one lady was talking about her mom. That's true. Uh, when she went out to save Sandra Bullock, so it, it obviously I think you know kind of is like the the like little cave area that Luke Skywalker goes into and he sees you know it's like the Jedi cave where you go in and you see your greatest fear. It's kind of kind of that sort of situation, I think. The other thing, the other major problem I have with this movie is what's with the celebrity naming the kids here? I mean that that's like it's like 2019 <laughs> we got celebrity names in there boy and girl i mean like that I literally think, sounds like something kanye west would do i i get i get what you're, the joke you're like, saying but girl I think west it's boy west i think it's like, more of like sandra bullock's way of being like i'm not going to get attached to them because they could right. literally die at any moment or i could die like it's her only way of surviving or thinking it's 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 her way of faking herself out to say that she that's her way of surviving but oh so not celebrity naming not celebrity <laughs> names <laughs> And for everybody listening, I'm totally just joking. Yeah. Uh, no, but again, I, I that you know that's I think that's I think that's a good touch to kind of establish her her uh, rebellious nature against that. They they do a pretty good job of kind of really illustrating that she doesn't want to uh, be a mother and and that she's not really quite ready to take on that responsibility. And and so I thought that was kind of a you know I mean I think it's good from that standpoint. And and then you know obviously you see so the other the, the other major way that the movie plays out is that you're being shown uh, kind of like current events and then it's flashing back and giving you uh, some moments five years before where you're where you're actually at in the timeline. And so when you you see the kids. You, at first you think maybe they're both hers right. uh, because you don't really know. And so, you know, that kind of also helps to hide exactly what 
happened until you you know eventually get that reveal later on and uh i i I do i do think that actually was pretty well thought out what did you think about the the time jumping aspect of the movie like where it jumps between when the stuff first started and then when we're at now um i think it i think it's okay uh there is a there is actually a part of me that would like to see an edit of this that happens almost linearly like i would i think i would have actually preferred uh to not see her getting into the river and stuff at the beginning and rather just start the movie off with like her sister going over to her house and the fact that she's pregnant and the, the fact that we don't really know exactly what's going on and then played out all the way to the, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it would be interesting to see how it would have gone that way. However, um, you would lose some of the tension, I think, because some of the the tension does transpire from the uncertainties of what exactly is going on why is she there and then of course the whole situation of like obviously we would have known at that point that the boy was already hers which when that scene initially plays out we have some speculations based on her reactions but we don't know for sure right um so i mean obviously you do lose some tension that way but i'd still i still think it would be kind of intriguing just to see how differently the experience uh of the film might be uh, if it had been edited more linearly without all of the flashbacks. And then it's also kind of intriguing because we're we're at one point only flashing back to, like, I don't know, what I'm, I'm going to say maybe like a little less than half of the movie is a flashback to uh, essentially like five years uh, before. And then we kind of get this weird time jump with her and Tom. Yeah, the, like where, the day before. Yeah, and we're not quite sure where that's at, at just at first. I, obviously, we get the reveal that that's moments before she gets on the boat where the movie starts. But in that moment, I, I, it felt a little disjointed uh, to me. But I think it works. What about you? I don't know. What are you? No, are I, you- I felt the same way. I did, I did think it worked uh, st- storytelling wise. Uh, I think I also would have preferred a uh, more linear storyline. But I get what the what they were the decision that the buyer the director was was making there sure um well and then and then i I mean sorry to to i think going back to i just thought of this too going back to the end uh that was kind of weird too because they get to this this uh it's like a foundation for the blind uh which you know it, it makes sense that the blind people wouldn't be affected based on on kind of what they've established but he's he and we see the birds which that's kind of the big thing is they have these birds that uh Sandra Bullock discovers kind of has like a reaction to these creatures and to people that have been essentially impacted or infected by these creatures however that, that don't commit suicide however you want to right uh say that and, and and so like that's kind of like the old coal miners trick where they would take it down there and if the bird died they would know like okay we need to get out of here right away because there's uh, toxins and gas and stuff in the air like so we need to get out of here uh but they never like they I don't know. There's a shot where the the crazy guy that goes into their house puts the birds in the freezer. Uh, but then at the end, uh, like the blind guy is like, oh, well, they can't get in here because there's birds. We have so many birds here. And again, I'm like, why are what? Like, yeah, the, the whole their bird weakness thing was, is birds. It's a, it's a little disjointed. It's yeah, it's 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 a strange thing. But I get what they were trying to trying to do. And you're 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 spot on with the the simile of uh, the bird and the the canary and the coal mine kind of thing. So, 
Well, I just wish they would have, like I said, and maybe the book does. Maybe I just need to read the book. I just wish they would have done a better job of really establishing the rules and the consequences of the rules. Yeah. In regards to the creatures or monsters or whatever. Yeah, just like um, the character uh, Felix and Lucy, you know, they take off in the car and that's the last you hear of them. Like, that's, it seemed weird. Yeah. It seemed very, you know... uh, Chekhov's gun kind of thing like that doesn't come yep. back into play later um I did like the fact that with BD Wong's character of Greg you they they did a thing where like hey because you know if they didn't do this part of the movie a lot of people have been like well why don't you just use cameras or you know binoculars something that makes it so that you're not looking but are looking at the same time and then they mm-hmm. had you know BD Wong's character sit there and look at a uh, uh, camera view of the outside of the house, and he still goes. He still goes suicidal. So, you know, that takes another thing away from them, which I, I liked because I know that that would have been the thing that was in my mind the whole time. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of that. That uh, I think the other film that uh, that you really love that does kind of a a good job of of little things like that was uh, Cabin in the Woods. Yes. You know where they're showing like that there's no cell service and things like that. You know, like kind of giving you a justification because and inevitably that is something as as a as a storyteller that you have to combat now is why wouldn't someone just pull their phone out and call someone or you know why wouldn't you use an app to uh you know tell you how to get around these creatures you know <laughs> like because that's the whole thing too is like if if you put a blindfold on and you popped headphones in and then used the walking instructions on Google Maps. Hell, you could go anywhere and you'd be fine because <laughs> you wouldn't hear these demon creatures that came from the apocalypse. You would just hear music and uh, you'd be totally fine. But see, that's why they introduced the crazies because the crazies would run up on you and try and make you see the outside world anyways. Exactly. <laughs> so I would just have to say to sum up that I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I, I felt like it, it kept me um, on the edge of my seat you know on in suspense throughout most of it it was very intense for me uh i i also liked the 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 shooting style the directing style of the movie so uh i i was all for it at the end how did you feel um you know i i I think and this is i think the exact same situation like i said with the quiet place where it sounds like i'm just talking horribly about the movie because i have a lot of of critique uh of the film but the the reality is, is that, like I said, there's a lot of really, really good things and good moments in this movie. And I think that they're done so well that, like I said, the other times in the film where things just aren't quite done as well, it makes them feel so much worse than they actually are because the other uh, moments of tension and suspense and the performances and, and, and in the, those things in those moments are so good. Uh, that it is not surprising to me at all that this movie has blown up and taken off much, much uh, in the same way that that A Quiet Place did. I mean, Quiet Place came out and got tons of like rave uh, reviews from from uh, critics and from audiences as well. And I, and I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, this is also, uh, I think, a really great example for for anybody who is thinking of getting into any type of, of creative uh, based career is that you can take a concept that's been done because everything has been and you can put your own twist to it and still make something that's great. And I I think that's really what this does is because I don't think 
that this is a copycat of a quiet place, even though there's a lot of parallels and there's a, a similar vibe to it. I don't think it's a copycat. I think they're two very different experiences. They both offer a, a lot of great performances, a lot of tension. And again, uh, I, I feel like my review is almost the same. Like the things that happen in a quiet place are so good that the bad moments really become worse. And I feel like bird boxes is very similar thing. And again, going back to like what I was saying earlier about uh, the ballad of Buster uh, Scruggs, you have Netflix uh, or most likely you have someone's Netflix password because <laughs> right now everybody, you know, everybody at Netflix trying to figure out how like 50 million people watch this on like 50 accounts. Uh, <laughs> but you already have it. You've already paid for it watch it I, I definitely think it's worth a watch and, and if you find that it's just not your type of movie you're not out anything nope. you know so you're already paying uh, I, I think for the that helps uh the movie as well i think that helps to to increase the accessibility uh to the film so i, I definitely say give it a watch i think i think you'll get a lot of really uh good tension and drama out of the film and uh, I, I i think you'll enjoy it overall all right, if you have an opinion on any one of these movies that uh, we talked about today or the Golden Globes, we'd love to hear it. I'm on Twitter as at Michipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. That's what we are now. Uh, you can find the rest of Geek Elite Media on Twitter as at Geek Elite Media, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media, Media is our Facebook page. Richard, where can they find you online? Uh, so I'm on Twitter uh, at Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. And uh, you can find me occasionally on Twitch now because stuff's just been so crazy. I've been canceling uh, streams left and right, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm looking to get back to it uh, probably uh, Jan late January, early February. Uh, but uh, yeah, Wednesdays and Sundays at 2 p.m. Arizona time, you can find me on twitch.tv slash Cohen and the number one, R-I-C-O-W-N and the number one. And then check out our website, geekleetmedia.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geekly Radio Network. Or Geekly Media Network. Damn it. I almost got through <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, You're so close. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geekly Media Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. This podcast has been brought to you by Cuts by Candice. Candice Gist is a hairstylist that listens to your needs and will work with you to get the right look for you. With 18 years of experience, Candice is the premier stylist that I trust with my look. And right now, if you mention this ad when you make an appointment from now until the end of February 2019 and give our promo code GEEKOUT, you will get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candice on Facebook and Cuts underscore Candice on Instagram and start looking the best you you can.